Welcome to our Holy Week devotional. It's Maundy Thursday, and today we're talking about the power of humility. Some believe that humility is the same as embarrassment, always being struck down low and feeling ashamed. Some believe that humility is having a low opinion of ourselves, or having low self-esteem, or lacking in confidence. But humility is in any of those things. Humility is having the confidence that being corrected, or learning something new, or changing what we believe will make us better, not worse. Humility is asking questions when we don't understand, rather than pretending that we do or by keeping silent out of the fear of embarrassment. Humility is the quiet reminder in our spirit that no matter how well we are doing in life, it's not about us. It is about the one who is greater than we are. I think Jesus uses children as an example of humility because children do this so well. Children know that they, aren't, they don't understand everything. They are curious about the world. They ask copious amounts of questions because they have faith that the adults in their lives will know the answers and will guide them well. Adults can often see this quality in children as a nuisance. If you've ever been around a toddler or a teenager who asked it, likes to ask why, then perhaps you understand. But the humility of asking why, of wanting to be instructed and led, is not a nuisance to Jesus. Quite the opposite. It's admirable. Because the humility of curiosity, the humility of asking questions, the humility of not putting our egos front and center all of the time is powerful in the kingdom of God. If you're watching this devotion on YouTube and you would like to hear more, then you're invited to click on the link below to hear a sermon that I preached on the power of humility. Or if you would like to hear that sermon and are listening on the podcast, continue to listen for an audio version of that sermon. Today we are continuing in a sermon series that we just started last week, our Lenten sermon series, looking at power, namely how we as people are called to use and engage power in our lives here on earth. We recognize that in, because we are made in God's image, we are made to exercise power to some extent, but we know that humanity has chosen to exercise power through oppression rather than offering freedom, that we have chosen to use violence to establish domination rather than using our power to create equity in our communities. We know that power in the hands of humanity alone does not echo the power that God has used in the world from the first day of creation. And so throughout the season of Lent, we are looking at how we are called to use the power that we have been given to use, but to use it in a way that echoes God's powerful work in the world to resist falling into the patterns of power that our society and our globe has seen and re received as acceptable. Today in particular, we're looking at the power of humility. And we're continuing on in the book of Mark throughout this series. We're looking at Mark 9, 
verses 33 through 37. And when we come to Jesus and the disciples in our scripture passage for today, you'll see that they're walking. They are walking from this extraordinary moment where Jesus has just healed this young boy. The disciples have a lot of questions about it. They have been asking these questions and then didn't really know what to do with the answers. And so this is what's happening just as they finish their walk to Capernaum and they are establishing themselves in this next place for the next season of ministry. This is Mark 9, verses 33 through 37, Jesus and his disciples. It says that when they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But the disciples were silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that your spirit of truth might make itself known in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. We pray that you will give us the courage to be honest with ourselves. And we pray that you will give us the courage to be honest with you. We ask that your power of humility might exercise itself in our lives in this hour and in the hours to come, and that we might know more today than we did yesterday about what it means to be your people who are exercising the power of your kingdom in this world. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what in your life has taught you humility. For Jane Marie, she was taught to be humble by an episode of embarrassment. Jane was interviewing for a new job that was going to offer her a major leap in her career. After she had met with that team several times, Jane was then invited by the company to attend a large fundraising gala event on the premise that it would be nice for her and the team to interact in a less formal, less formal setting, in a more social gathering. Jane was so excited. She really was looking forward to spending time with that team. And she was really eager to make a good impression. She wanted them to think that she was respectable. And so she didn't let her anxiety show when in this ballroom of 500 attendees, her and her potential future employers were led to a table at the very front and center of the fundraising gala. She didn't want anyone to know how nervous she was. She knew that she could still bring her best. Throughout the dinner, Jane kept on looking for this opportunity to make her impression on the team. She was looking for that moment 
when she would start to feel like the team was getting to know her better. But as the dinner went on, she realized that opportunity was never seeming to come. The men at the table just kept on talking over her, and there was no real moment for her to jump into the conversation. No one really seemed curious about Jane at all. So when they got to the auction portion of the evening, Jane got a great idea. The only other time that she had been to a fundraising gala, it had also been an auction. And so at that time, as a joke, when they had started the bidding, Jane was the first person to raise her paddle. It was for an item that was tens of thousands of dollars and Jane was broke. Her friends at the table knew that. They knew she couldn't afford it, but Jane had figured that she was surrounded by people who could afford it. And she was certain that it was only a matter of time until someone outbid her. And Jane was right. That item went for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And everyone at her table had thought that Jane was hilarious. And so now, as she was feeling the anxiety and desperation to make her impression on this new team to solidify this job as hers, Jane knew exactly how to spice things up. She had already done it before. She was going to throw up her paddle again. She was going to get things going, and it was only a matter of time until that table had a funny story to laugh about, not just that day, but in the years to come. And so they open the bidding, and Jane hears them start the bids at $25,000, and so Jane shot up that paddle in the air with a smile on her face. She felt a, a rush while she waited to be outbid. But it turns out that it wasn't an auction at all. It was a pledge drive. And Jane had just committed her eight-person interviewing team to a $25,000 pledge. The name of the company was put up on a large TV that was hanging from the ceiling of the ballroom, along with the amount and the table number to thunderous applause from the 500 people there for the dinner. Jane was mortified. And she looked over at the one person that she knew best who was sitting at the table, and he was breaking out in hives. Everybody around the table was looking at her slack-jawed, apart from the one guy who, in fear and disgust, said out loud to her, Jane, what did you just do? Jane didn't have $25,000, and she clearly didn't know how these auction fundraiser things were supposed to work. But she knew that she had to find a way out of this. And so she quickly gathered in her overflowing green ball ground, which didn't really help her blend in at all, and moved as fast as she could from the front of the room all the way to the back doors, trying her best to squeeze between chairs and tables, bumping into people along the way, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, sorry, until she found the woman in charge of the bidding. The woman was very understanding, and she said, well, Jane, what do you want to do? And Jane said, I, I just need to take it back. 
And the woman smiled, and she nodded, and she turned to her computer and was tapping away, and Jane felt a moment of relief as she turned and walked back into the back doors of the ballroom. And just as she walked in, she looked up at that large TV to see the company's name disappear from the number one spot on the pledge board and move all the way down to the bottom. All of a sudden, she says she felt like there was a spotlight on her. It was almost like you could hear a record scratch. She saw everyone looking at her. Suddenly, everyone knew that it was Jane who had just taken away $25,000 from this charity. And to make it worse, it wasn't Jane's name on the board. It was the name of the company who had sponsored her table. It wasn't Jane who did this in the eyes of everybody else. It was the table of people who just went from number one in pledge giving to non-existent on the board. Shortly after the pledging was over, the gala showed this mini-documentary on the families and children that they were fundraising for, parents and kids who were talking about how scared they felt, about how much they needed this life-saving treatment that they were going to get from this fundraising event. And it was at that moment that Jane was hit the hardest. It wasn't when everyone had been looking at her. It wasn't when she thought that everyone could see what she had done. It was when she realized what she had actually done. Because she had only thought of the evening as an opportunity for her to make an impression. And it turned out that evening wasn't about her at all. It was about these kids. And she had made an impression. And she didn't get that job. But the rejection wasn't the thing that stuck with her the most. When Jane told this story to an interviewer, she said that that moment exposed a flaw in her that she has to pay a lot of attention to still today. Now, she says, where she used to be a very confident person, now she second-guesses herself a lot. And when she said this, her interviewer paused and lamented that change in Jane's life, commenting about how crazy it was that Jane could do something embarrassing just once and then suddenly have this inner policeman for the rest of her life. Isn't there something Jane could do to make that go away? Isn't there something she could do to return to the confidence she had before? To which Jane replied almost incredulously, I just don't even have the desire. Why would I want to change it? I don't think that the lesson I learned was that bad. And honestly, when I think about the old version of me, I don't want to go back. Jane had been humbled by her embarrassment. She thought for a moment in the moment that it would kill her. But it turns out that it just made her a better person. So I come back to that question I asked you at the start. What has humility taught you in your life? And do you feel like you have become a better person for it? 
The truth is that our society doesn't reward humility. Students don't get into college by playing down their extracurricular activities, and employees don't get promotions by being nonchalant about the extra commitment they give to the job. Major politicians gain power through bragging and bravado. They don't rely on their record to speak for itself. And the result is this constant talking and noise. It's in our conversations, it's on the news, it's overheard in the hallways. It's a constant jockeying to be heard and seen, constant displays of showmanship in nearly every sphere of life. It's in the classroom, it's in the workplace, it's in our nonprofits and in our churches. We all feel like it's up to us to justify ourselves, to get what we think we deserve. Humility gets us nowhere in this world, which is really unfortunate because it puts us at odds with eternity. Because humility might not get us anywhere in this world, but it gets us everywhere in God's kingdom. That's what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples as they were walking to Capernaum that day. Right before they had left for Capernaum, the disciples had tried to heal this boy. He was mute, but they had failed and they didn't know why. And so after Jesus had healed him, the disciples asked Jesus, why is it that he could do what they couldn't? And so as they started their walk, Jesus was teaching them. He was talking about his own faith in God. He was sharing with them what God was going to call him to do in his life. But the scripture says that they didn't understand what he was saying and that they were too afraid to ask him to clarify. Instead, they occupied themselves by arguing over which one of them was the greatest, which might sound like a funny choice on their part as we read it 2,000 years later. But I think it's painfully familiar if you think about it. After all of them had failed, rather than embracing the humbling lesson as Jane Marie had, rather than asking Jesus to show them more, they spend their time trying to repair their egos. They might not be as great as Jesus, but they're certainly better than one of these other losers. Some people believe that humility is the same as embarrassment, always being struck down low, feeling ashamed of ourselves. That's not what humility is. And some believe that humility is regularly maintaining a low opinion of ourselves or having low self-esteem or a lacking confidence. But humility isn't any of those things. Humility is having the confidence that being corrected, that learning something new, that changing what we believe will make us better and not worse. Humility is asking questions when we don't understand, rather than pretending that we do or keeping silent out of fear or embarrassment. Humility is the quiet reminder in our spirit that no matter how well we are doing in life, it is not about us. 
that there is always something and someone greater than we are, who we are called to serve. I think that Jesus uses children as an example in this passage today because children do that very, very well. Children know that they don't understand everything. And they are curious about the world. They ask copious amounts of questions because they have faith that the adults in their lives will know the answers and will guide them well. Adults can often see this quality, this humble quality in children as a nuisance. If you've ever been around a toddler who has discovered the word why, then you know exactly why it can be annoying. But humility of asking why, of wanting to be instructed and led, that is not a nuisance to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' eyes, it's admirable because the humility of curiosity, the humility of asking questions, the humility of not putting our egos front and center all the time is powerful in the kingdom of God. Several years ago, there was a story in the news about a youth basketball team in Gainesville, Texas. They were called the Gainesville Tornadoes. And it wasn't a typical high school basketball team because it wasn't at a school. The Gainesville Tornadoes were housed at a detention center. It was high school-aged teens who had been detained for felonies that they had committed as people who were underaged. But they could earn the opportunity to play on the basketball team if they were doing decently in school and they had good behavior. So playing on this team was a privilege, in large part because they got to interact with other teams who would come to the detention center and play, and they would also get the opportunity several times a year to leave the facility to play at other local private schools in the area. So one time there was a school named Vanguard Prep who came to Gainesville to play the Tornadoes. And when they got there, they were absolutely taken aback. Because while several of their own families and friends had traveled with them to cheer them on at their away game, they saw that there was absolutely no one in the stands to cheer for the Gainesville Tornadoes. Vanguard Prep didn't know what to think. They had never experienced anything like it. All they knew was that they never wanted to experience anything like it again. And so, when it was time for the Gainesville Tornadoes to come to Vanguard to play their follow-up game, the Gainesville Tornadoes arrived to find that half of the Vanguard cheering squad was wearing a black-and-white tornado uniform. They were cheering for the Tornadoes, and that all of the stands were full, half in the colors of Vanguard and half in the colors of the Tornadoes. They were cheering. They created a line for all of the tornadoes to go running through. It wasn't organized by the coaches. It wasn't organized by the parents. It was organized by the students of the Vanguard basketball team because they knew that they didn't want to have to play a team that had no one cheering for them, even if it meant that they lost the game. 
Even though they had divided those who had come to support them, to support Vanguard into the stands, what they found is that about a quarter into the game, it wasn't just half and half who were cheering for the Gainesville Tornadoes. The whole entire uh, stadium was cheering for them. There was no one cheering for Vanguard in the end. And we don't actually know from the news report who won the game because, as the newscaster said, they didn't care who won, so why should we? Those youth had seen that someone else needed something, and they gave out of humility to their own detriment so that the other team could have what they knew they needed. Friends, it's shocking because as adults, we spend the majority of our lives avoiding humility. We don't go looking for it like those youths did. And yet, Jesus says that there is power in humility, not just our power, but God's power. So, I'm going to ask that question one more time. When was the last time that you went looking to be humbled? And how did humility change you? Because it's through the humility of God that we are not only changed ourselves, but through our humility that the Spirit changes the world, friends. This week, how are you willing to be humbled for the good of the world? Amen.